We are back in the Torch Center and it is a special time for a few reasons. Number one, we are now, as we speak, running our annual fundraiser right now at givetorch.org. Every tax-deductible donation is doubled. It's our only annual fundraiser. And I thought we would do something really special in honor of the fundraiser. So I invited the legendary genius himself, Rabbi Shmuley Botnik, to come and to share with us the secrets and the mysteries of Parshas Shkalim in honor of the fundraiser. Now, the fundraiser is found at the website givetorch.org. Every donation is doubled. Did you hear that clearly? Did I make it myself clear, Rabbi Botnik? What's the website for the fundraiser? Oh, gosh. That's a tough one to answer. I was I was completely absorbed in my share. You want to repeat that? <laughs> GiveTorch.org. GiveTorch.org. And how, how, would, how would I spell that if I wanted to spell that? GiveTorch.org? How do you think <laughs> you would spell that? Uh, you're putting me on the spot here, but I'm going to take a stab at it. G-I-V-E-T-O-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Now, to make it easier... When people listen to this podcast, I'm going to have links in the description. So they're going to open up the, the podcast and they're going to read the description. And it's going to have all sorts of links. And any one of those links will work. Just click it. And every donation is what? What happens every donation? Rabbi Botnick. So I heard you mention it get doubled. I didn't hear you say anything about my commission. You want to maybe just articulate that? <laughs> oh, Rabbi Botnick. Rabbi Botnick. Shmulik. Yes, yeah, your commission will be sizable, okay? <laughs> now, okay, so um, in honor of this, we do, we're doing something special. As you know, we're doing uh, a new podcast every month to talk about the secrets of the month. And now we're in middle of the month of Shvat. We haven't quite gotten up to the month of Adar. But the truth is, there are other stuff that are happening in the calendar. And included in that is the four special weeks that are around this time, the month of Adar and the month of so it's a little background. We, this week is going to be Parshas Mishpatim. But in, in the shul, they're going to take out not one Torah scroll, but two Torah scrolls from the ark. And one of them is going to be the regular weekly Torah section, Parshas Mishpatim. And the other one, the other Torah scroll is going to be for Parshas Shkalim. And when we read the Torah, we finish it. We're going to open up the second Torah and read from Parshas Shalom. And the, the, the origin of this is goes back many, many millennia, many centuries ago. There are four weeks in the calendar that in addition to the regular weekly Parsha reading, we have an extra reading from an extra part in the Torah. And the first of those four weeks is this week, and it's Parshas Shalom. And then we're going to read a Parshas Zachar, and then we'll have Parshas Para, and finally Parshas HaChodesh. And then once we've done those four special weeks, we go back to the normal programming. Now, this is not like a whole Parsha. You know, the average Parsha is 108 verses. This Parsha Shkalim, which is the second Parsha again that we read this upcoming week, it's only six verses, and it's from Exodus chapter 30. And it's talking about the tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle. And it talks about the fundraising effort. Which, how amazing is that? The week that we're doing fundraising, it just happens to be that the Torah reading also relates to fundraising. Unbelievable. But it's talking about the fundraising effort that was done every year. Just like, amazing. Every We do a yearly fundraiser. There was a yearly fundraiser done in temple times when the temple and when the 
tabernacle were extant, and they would collect a half a shekel, that's what it's called, shekelim, shekel, half a coin, half a shekel coin, and that was used for the temple coffers to buy communal sacrifices. And everyone gave a uniform amount, and this provides atonement, and I could not think of a better, more apt metaphor for the fundraiser. You have a tabernacle, it's like a portable Sinai, and that's really what we're doing here at Torch with the amazing podcast that we have. It's kind of like a like a portable Sinai. We're building an edifice of Torah, and we need your support. GiveTorch.org. Every donation is doubled. Please welcome Rabbi Shmuley Botnik to tell us about the secrets and the mysteries of Parshas Shkalem. Okay, will do. I just want to mention one thing before that. You were saying how uh, this week is Parshas Mishpatim, in addition uh, to it being the Shkalem. I think that's pretty much every year, uh, unless it's a leap year. And I always marvel at the fact, and I haven't seen this anywhere, that Mishpatim is actually the same gematria as Shkalem. Wow. It's, it's off by one. <laughs> so it's going to be, Mishpatim is 479, and Shkalem is 480. And just how uncanny is that? Well, aren't we allowed an allowance for the gematria system? We're allowed an allowance of one. We, be, we could be off by one, and it still counts. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that's why I'm saying that it's considered to be the same gematria a conversation for a different time. Why we're allowed to be one off? We're not usually that liberal, but yeah, because because uh, if you went to let's say give torch, but you spelled the torch instead of torch, you spelled torque or something like that. That or it probably won't arrive at the website. I don't know. It has to be give torch dot org. Is that right? <laughs> that's right. So you so you're wondering, Rabbi Bonnet is wondering well, how come with Gamatri allowed to be off a little bit somehow when it comes to give torch dot org? It's got to be precise. Yeah. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to find every excuse to say givetorch.org in this podcast. You forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the idea that every donation is doubled because that's also very much parallel to the idea of the shkolim, right? Because you give half and half. It's like it's like every donation it. is really half it. a donation, right? Fantastic. Right, but let's let's jump into it. So there's a lot here. Parsha shkolim ostensibly isn't all that significant like you mentioned. It's just six verses which get lumped onto the end of Kriyasa Torah. The reading of the Torah. So it doesn't really take up all that much real estate uh, in terms of the calendar or in terms of the prayer. But there's one medrash that I'm aware of that gives insight into just how fascinatingly deep it actually is. This medrash I've seen quoted many times and... Often there's like different versions, like slightly different variations, but it's the general theme. So the way it works is as follows. Moshe Rabbeinu is having a conversation with Hashem. And he says to Hashem as follows. He says, Ribono Shalom, yeah, master of the world. Shema Misha'ani Meis Ein Ani Nizkar. Perhaps when I die, I will no longer be remembered. Amar lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem responds this, Chayecha, Kishem she'ata omid achshav v'nosin lahem parsha shkolem v'ata zokif esroshan, kach b'chol shana v'shana, kashi Yisrael konu b'parsha shkolem, kilo ata omid v'zokif esroshan. Okay, the translation of that is as follows. Hashem says, just as like now, you are telling them, you are teaching them about this parsha of shkolem, these six verses that discuss the, the contribution of the Shkalim. And you are lifting their heads. Okay, very peculiar, very cryptic wording there. So to every single year, 
when they read Parsha Shkolem, so this coming Shabbos, Ki'ilu ata omid, it says, if you are standing there, Bezokei Fesroshen, and lifting their heads. It is as if you are lifting their heads every single year. Um, and then it says that this is actually alluded to in the verse because it says, Kisisa, as you lift. It doesn't say, uh, like, you know, as you will lift. It doesn't say, Sa, as you lift. It says, Kisisa, as you will lift. It's not past tense. It's not even present tense. It is future tense, which has the implication that this is going to be an ongoing procedure. So, do you understand? This is just an incredible, the- incredible midrash that Moshe has this existential dread that he's going to be forgotten and no one's going to invoke him, which is something I think that a lot of us can relate to. This idea of wanting some sort of eternality and Moshe, this incredible midrash, which I never saw it till today, till you shared your notes with me like five minutes before we recorded. I've never seen this midrash before. Moshe's worried about what's going to be. Who will remember him? What's what's going to be his eternal contribution to this world? And God says, don't worry about it. We have Parshas Shkalim. And just like you're lifting their heads now, you'll do that again each year when we get to Parshas Shkalim. Very mysterious and cryptic. That's right. Now, I think just to add to that, there's also uh, an element of irony here. Because on the one hand, it sounds as if like Parshas Shkalim is Moshe Rabbeinu's, that's like his territory. That's his thing. Like every single year, Pasha Shkalem, Moshe Rabbeinu is there. But we know that at least in, in, in the genesis of the evolvement of Pasha Shkalem, Moshe Rabbeinu was very confused, whatever that means, because we're told that the, the verse says, Ze-yitnu. this is what you shall give. And, and the term Zez is a little bit, it seems to be uh, extraneous. And Rashi tells us, and this is also a medrash, that Moshe Rabbeinu could not understand Parsha Shkolem. There was something about it that was baffling him. And Hashem had to take a shekel or half a shekel from beneath the Kisei Kavod, the throne of glory, and it was made of fire, okay? It was, a, it was a half a shekel made out of fire, which he produced from beneath the throne of glory, and he said, Zeh yitnu. Alright, so, so just to explain, every time you see the word zeh in the Torah, it always means like there's a direct indication. It's like, they're pointing. They're like, they're literally pointing at something and saying zeh, this. So, Moshe Rabbeinu was like confused, this machta, this half a shekel, what are you talking about? And Hashem's like, oh, okay, I'll show you. And he pulls out from beneath the throne of glory, uh, a fiery half a shekel, which that's also uh, baffling in and of itself. What is it that Moshe Rabbeinu who is presumably a very wise person, who knew all of the Torah, who delivered all of the Torah to the Jews, taught all the Torah to the Jewish people. What is it about this half a shekel that he found so confounding? And what does it mean that God produced it from beneath the throne of glory? So these are all And questions. like you said, and like you said, there's a certain irony that this is the, the, the mitzvah that embodies Moshe. Moshe is, he, he's going to be uplifting their head with the half shekel. And thus, you would think that this mitzvah is really Moshe's hallmark. This is what he personifies. Uh, yet, when it came to the initial instruction of the half shekel, he was mystified about it. He had to be shown this fiery half shekel coin. What, what do we make of that contrast? That on one hand, Moshe is befuddled by this. On the other hand, this is like what he does. This is what he stands for. And this is his ticket, so to speak, to eternity. That's right. Okay, so to understand, or at least to try to unravel some of the mystery here, we have to get a clear picture on what the function of these 
half shekels are. So I think Rabbi Wolby gave a very apt description of just the technicalities of it, right? So it was a fundraiser. Wait, speaking of fundraiser, Rabbi Wolby, is there anything? <laughs> oh, you make me so happy. Yes, there is a fundraiser at <laughs> givetorch.org. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Proceed. Is that givetorch.com or is that .org? You uh, know what? Givetorch.com also goes to the main page. But if you, if you want to support my team, it's givetorch.org. But givetorch.com goes to the main page as well, and that's okay. If someone wants to get to the main page or every one of the different podcasts has their own page, and uh, even my two older boys, Akiva and Yoshua, they both have their pages. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of different options. But givetorch.org is the preferred one, but whatever whatever page someone wants to give to, we appreciate it. All right, all right. Okay, but I digress. Um, the, the <laughs> in the middle of the verses discussing you know, just the technical procedure of how this giving a half shekel works, it mentions in there that it has a very specific purpose, which is lechaper al nafsho sechem, to atone for your souls. Okay, so the, this giving of the half a shekel isn't merely for financial purposes. It has a very specific spiritual implication, which is that it atones for our souls. Okay, now, obviously, when you hear that it atones for something, you have to know what that thing is. And we find in different sources within the various works of our sages, we're going to find two different explanations. So the Yerushalmi, the Talmud Yerushalmi tells us that the atonement that is happening the sin that it, it that is being atoned for is the one of the greatest sins of all time, the sin of the golden calf, okay, which we're all familiar with. Following the the giving of the Torah, forty days in, Moshe Rabbeinu is still at the top of Mount Sinai. The Jewish people are getting anxious. Where is he? And however it evolved, they just decided that the right thing to do was to create a golden calf and to worship it. Obviously, a big mistake on their part. And for the rest of history, we have to atone for it. Somehow, the giving of this half a shekel does does that. It somehow has some sort of positive effect in moving us further away from that sin uh, and cleansing us from it. So, again, this is not something I understand, or at least not yet, but that is what we are taught. All right, Rabbi Wolby? Yeah, so the first source that we have is that the, the half shackle is going to atone for the sin, for the blemish brought about by the sin of the golden calf. That's one of, you said there's two explanations. That's the first one. Right, so that's number one. Number two is, this is found in the, the Yalkut, so that's a medrash. And it is in Parshas Kisiso, where the Parshav Shkolem is found. And it says, no, uh, it, it does not mention anything about the golden calf. It said it is for the sin of the selling of Yosef. So, Ten or nine of the of the other tribes uh, sold Yosef to down to Egypt, and that was also a, a very serious sin. And what the Medrash tells us is that this giving of the half hashekel is to atone for that sin. All right, so we, so we got these two. Right. We have these two national crimes of the Jewish people: either the sale of Joseph as a slave, this horrific betrayal of brotherhood. That happened, of course, in the book of Genesis, and that blemish is somehow rectified. That there's there's atonement, there's expiation that's conferred by the half shekel. That's one opinion. Second opinion is that it's the sin of the golden calf, and that is what is atoned uh, for by the half shekel coin. Right. So presumably, 
it would seem that these are two completely different and disparate explanations. Uh, one has nothing to do with the other. But as we will quickly see, uh, that that is not the case because we find striking overlap between these two sins, between the selling of Yosef and the golden calf. Uh, I'm going to point out uh, two sources where you see this. One is in the Torah's Kohanim. All right, so that's another Medrash. This is at the beginning of Parsha Shemini. So that's talking about the inauguration of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. And there were various karbanos that the Jewish people had to bring and that the Kohanim had to bring. All kinds of different sacrifices going on there. So the Jewish people were told that they had to bring two specific karbanos. One was a Seir Izim, a goat, and the other was an Egel. I can read to you the verse. Vel tell the Jewish people, izim bring a, a goat as a chatas, the egel, vecheves, an egel is a calf, vecheves also a sheep, uh, as an ola, as another, uh, sacrifice. Okay, so right there you have a seir izim, a goat, and a calf. They're being brought together, uh, as, as sacrifices at the, at the inauguration of the tabernacle. Now, we know, we know that the goat is very much connected with the sale of Yosef. Rabbi Wobi, do you want to explain how and why that is? I, I think what you're referring to, if I'm not mistaken, is that after they sold Joseph, they had to come up with some sort of plan of how they're going to break the news to Jacob. And they take a goat and they slaughter it. And they dip his tunic in that goat and they present it to Jacob and say, this is what we found. Do you recognize it? Is it the tunic of your son Joseph, and, and Jacob recognizes the tunic, and he bewails, and he mourns, and he's inconsolable for decades. Is, is that is that what you're referring to? Yes, that's what I'm referring to. So the the goat is analogous or representative of the sin of the sale of Yosef, and then the other animal to bring is an eagle, is a calf, and that that's obviously going to correlate with the sin of the golden calf. So at the initiation of the of the tabernacle, we have two sacrifices that both seem to relate to these two sins, which again at first glance appear to be totally unrelated. Now we're seeing maybe the the contours of their of uh, of the similarities or of the overlap between these two. Okay. Now the other one is I, I'm sorry, but I, I know this to be true. I, I just didn't get. Uh, the exact source for it. Um, Rabbi Wobi, maybe you'll know offhand. But we know, we are taught that, I think maybe it's a Gemara and Sota, uh, that w- when they left Egypt, so Moshe Rabbeinu was very busy with something, and that was locating and exhuming the coffin of Yosef. And he did this in a very mystical way. He knew that the coffin of Yosef had been not buried, but sunk into the bottom of the Nile River. Okay, now how are you going to get it out? So what he did was he took a little golden, um, like, like a golden plaque, and he wrote on it the words, Ale Shor, Ale Shor, lift, lift up the, the ox, lift up the ox. Uh, now Yosef, a tzaddik, for one reason or another, is likened to an ox, and by throwing this little plaque into the Nile River, that somehow effectuated the rising of the coffin. You're familiar with this, correct? Yes, yes. And not only that, we've spoken about this in a recent podcast uh, about, uh, you know, the during the Exodus, 
everyone's trying to figure out uh, how to stockpile more gold and silver. And Moshe is concerned with the bones of Joseph. And in one version of the Midrash, he spends three days and three nights looking for it. But yes, uh, we are told that uh, the means by which he got it up was some sort of uh, plate, some metal plate with the words, Arise, O Ox. He drops it into the uh, into the Nile at the spot where he believes uh, that uh, the bones of Joseph are interred and the bones in their coffin float to the surface. Moshe grabs it and takes it with him for the Exodus. Right. Okay. But there's a morbid epilogue to that story. And that is when it came time for the Jewish people, I shouldn't say it came time, when the Jewish people, for one reason or another, decided that they wanted to create, formulate a golden calf, they took this very plaque, the same plaque which resulted in the retrieval of Yosef Hatzadik's bones, they took that, tossed it into the fire, and out came a golden calf, which is just so fascinating. And we're not going to get into exactly what that means, but what we can tell just from the, the general sketch of occurrences is that Yosef and the golden calf are appeared to be interrelated with each other Right, the very same piece of metal, this mystical piece of metal, which, which managed to bring Yosef's coffin upward from the Nile, also managed to produce the golden calf. It was, so really cool yeah, stuff. Yeah. By, by the way, while you were talking about that, I looked it up and I found the source. It is featured in the midrash and it's featured in Rashi, two Exodus chapter thirty-two, verse four. How Moshe wrote on this plate of metal. Uh, the words, Alei Shor, Alei Shor, Arise, O Ox, Arise, O Ox. And that was used for the formation of the golden calf some months later. Okay, so, I mean, just circling back now to the Shkalim. So, I told you earlier that there were two sources. What is this atonement going on? And we saw that it was, one was for the golden calf, one was for the selling of Yosef. It seemed to us that that was two completely different explanations. We are now seeing that there's a direct line connecting Yosef and the golden calf, and therefore it would appear to be that these two sources are are really hinting at one and the same thing, and we're going to try to identify what that is. Let's go. Okay. Now, the Yerushalmi tells us, and and this is halachic, they they make a halachic point, which is that at the giving of the machzis a shekel, when all of the Jewish people had to give their half a shekel, Says the Yerushalmi, Kohanim are included in that commandment. I'm not sure why we might think that they're not, but for some reason Yerushalmi says, uh, finds it important to emphasize that they are. And it's not obvious that they are. They have to learn this from an extra word in the verse. And that word is Zeh. Remember we discussed this earlier. It says the word Zeh This is what shall be given. We quoted from the Rashi and others who tell us that God was pointing to this half a shekel because for some reason Moshe Rabbeinu found it to be incomprehensible. And he says, Zayenu, this is what you should give. Okay, Yushalmi says something else. Yushalmi says that the word Zeh has the numerical value of 12, right? The word Zeh is easy, it's two letters. So Zeh, Zayin is seven, He is five. Seven plus five is twelve. Zayinu, twelve shall give, says the Yerushalmi. What that means is all twelve tribes must contribute. You might have, might have thought that 
the Kohanim, or, you know, their entire tribe, Levi, is exempt. Says the Torah, no, they are not exempt. Zayinu, all 12, have to contribute together. So we see two things are really going on with this word Zeh. A, it's teaching us that God pointed to it. B, it is teaching us that all 12 have to give. Okay, now what I find to be striking about that is the word Zeh is very common in the Torah. It, it literally, it just means this. So like anytime the Torah wants to say the word this, it says Zeh. Now, I only know of one time, and, and I don't know all of the Torah, so I might be mistaken, but I only know of one other time where the rabbis tell us that the word Zeh is alluding to all 12 tribes. When Yosef is, he's traveling from his father's house all the way down to where his brothers are hanging out, and this is in Parshish Vayeshev, this is a very ominous moment. He's about to get sold, right? I don't think he knows that he's about to get sold, but the brothers are planning this, that they actually, they're actually planning to kill him, right? They later change courses and they sell him. But as he's traveling down towards the place where his brothers are waiting for him, he meets a man. And he says, I am looking for my brothers. Do you know where they are? And this man, who Rashi tells us is actually an angel, says, They traveled from here. Alright? Now, Rashi tells us that when he says, he says, They have abandoned the brotherhood because the word Zeh is Gematria 12. as the numerical value of 12. And what this man, this angel, was telling Yosef was they no longer want to be your brother. They want to disband this unit of 12. So as far as I know, the only other time where we find that the word Zeh is meant to be understood as a reference to the 12 tribes, is specifically by Mechiras Yosef, specifically by the selling of Yosef. So this is just really, really fascinating. On the one hand, we're being told by the Medrash that the Machtes HaShekel, this half a shekel, is meant to atone for the selling of Yosef. It says the word Zeh referring to all 12 tribes. The only other time where you find that the word Zeh refers to all 12 tribes is by the selling of Yosef. Rabbi Wilby, what is on your mind? Unbelievable, unbelievable. So the word Zeh appears by the half shekel. The word Zeh appears by the sale of Joseph. In both those instances, we're told that the word Zeh, the gematria, is, is 7 plus 5, which is 12, and it refers to all 12. All 12 were part of this family, but were, this family kind of came apart. Nasumi Zeh, they have departed from Zeh, they have departed from this brotherhood, from this kinship of, of Zeh of 12. And when it comes to the rectification of that, the fixing of that sin, it says Zeh Yitnu, they will give this is what they should give, which is Zeh, which is 12. All 12 must give, including the Kohanim that you perhaps would have thought would be exempt. But that Zeh and that Zeh, which refer to these 12 tribes, are connected according to our sages. Excellent. Now, I want to tell you just one more tidbit about the word Zeh. In Parshas Vayetze, we find when Yaakov Avinu, he arrives at a mountaintop, not really knowing what its significance is. He falls asleep. Okay, well, first like this. He lies down. He surrounds himself with 12 stones. Though, uh, then he falls asleep. 
Um, as he's sleeping, the 12 stones become one. And he has this amazing dream, this amazing epiphany of a ladder. We're not getting into this. I'm sure it will be spoke about it extensively in various Parshas Vayetze podcasts. But he wakes up and he says like this, Okay, how awesome is this place, right? You find the word Zeh. This is nothing but that the house of God, and that, and this is the gate of heaven. Lots of zez, right? Three zez. Um, Rabbeinu Bachaye, one of the Rishonim, says that each one is referring to one of the three base hamikdashes, but one of three bate mikdash, I should say, temples. One of the three temples. So you have Manor How awesome is this place? That's temple number one. Ein Zekim Beisokim, that's temple number two. The reason why is that Ein Zek is, is negative, right? It's lacking. Ein Zek, this is nothing but uh, the house of God. And that is because the second Beis HaMikdash was severely lacking many of the, the features that the first Beis HaMikdash had. And then Vizesh Shar HaShemayim, that this is the gate of heaven, is referring to the third and final Beis HaMikdash. Now, where is he getting this from, that the word Zeh is an allusion to the Beis HaMikdash? Um, well, he actually is getting it from uh, last week's, uh, two weeks ago's Parsha, right? Two weeks ago's Parsha's Bishalach, right? We're recording this, it's in Parsha's Mishpatim, Sunday Parsha's Mishpatim. So we just finished Parsha's Yisro, and Parsha's Bishalach should be somewhere, you know, not too far back in our memory. During uh, the, the splitting of the sea, right? So they all seeing this this timeless shira, Az Yashir Moshe, and in middle, they say, This is my God, and I will, how would you translate, I'll beautify him, or? Yeah, or I will uh, build him a sanctuary. Uh, exactly, I will build him a sanctuary, right? So that's what the Targum Unklis says. I mean, the word Van is not literally, I'll build him a sanctuary, but but that's what the Targum Unklis tells us. So you see from there that when you say the word Zeh, you're pointing at something, you say, I'll build him a Beis HaMikdash, right? The word Zeh is, is very much related to Beis HaMikdash. It's based on that, that Rabbeinu Bachaye in Parshish Vayetze tells us that Zeh, 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 all three Zehs are referring to the Beis HaMikdash. So a lot going on. It's, it's uh, you know, it's just two letters, but... So we have the word Zeh talking about the half shekel. We have the word Zeh talking about the crumbling of the brotherhood. And we have Zeh appearing in many places, in many different contexts, to relate to the temple in Jerusalem, built on the same spot where Jacob has his nocturnal dream and prophecy with the ladder suspended to heaven with the angels of God going up and down. That's right. Now... I want to focus on that last source first. So the, the word Zeh refers to the Beis HaMikdash. Why? Okay, why? So here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that it's all very much coming from the same place as the previous sources we found about the word Zeh. And that is, think back to those stones. How many stones were there, Rabbi Wolby? Twelve stones. Wow. Twelve stones. Alluding to the twelve tribes that would ultimately come from Yaakov. So the 12 tribes are there, and not only are they there, but they become one. It's the ultimate unity of the 12. Okay, that's the ultimate. And where is it happening? On Har HaMoria, where the base will be built. Exactly. So the ultimate unity of all 12 tribes is happening right there where the base of will be built. But it's much more than that. Because we are taught, and the Orachayim says this explicitly, I've, se- I've seen it since in, in Midrashim, that this stone 
was really the Evan Shesia. The foundation stone. The foundation stone. The foundation of what? The foundation of the Beis HaMikdash, and really the foundation of the whole world. That's what the Midrashim tells us, that the world was like created, it was like the nucleus from which the world was created, which is this Evan Shesia. Comes out something fascinating, which is the Beis HaMikdash, and really the whole world, evolve and are a product of the unity of all 12 tribes. Right? You take 12 stones, put them together, and you got something that has the, the power and the potency to evolve into a world. So Jacob's stones, the 12 stones that he scatters around his head, they merge into one. That stone is, is the stone of the foundation stone. That's the bedrock, the foundation of the whole world. And what is the, what is the roots? What, what are the foundations of the entire world and the temple? This fusion and this merging and this melding of the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes into one indivisible unit. I just want to point out when we say the temple and the whole world, it's really one of the same thing. Temple was like a microcosm of the whole world. Um, so it's really, it, it's, it's the foundation of the, the temple. And that obviously has these the spiritual implications to be, to be the foundation of the whole world. And also when I say the word, the word it evolves, obviously it, it's God overseeing that we don't, we don't believe in evolution. You know, it's, it's, it's obviously a product of God's process yeah, of creation. It em- emanates uh, from, from that. It emanates from that. That's right. And that's the right word. Okay, so at least what we did here is we managed to connect two of, of the themes we just saw. We, the, the, let's leave the half shekel thing aside for a moment. But we were we we were introduced to the idea that the word Zeh refers to the twelve tribes, right? That's what the Yushalmi told us. That all twelve tribes have to give this half a shekel because it says the word Zeh. Uh, and then we saw something that seemed completely separate that the word Zeh refers to the base of Mikdash. We managed to put those two together. Uh, hopefully, we're correct about this. That it's really one and, and the same because the Beis HaMikdash is really built upon the the Evan Shesia, the cornerstone, which is an encapsulation of the 12 tribes. Okay. Okay, now, so now let's move along. Well, you know, let's back up for a second. So we have a deeper understanding into the severity. I think, you know, based on this, we have a deeper understanding into the severity of the sin of selling Yosef. Because when you sell Yosef, Right, as the verse said, Nasumiza, right? They they abandoned they abandoned the brotherhood. What's really going on is the entire world is falling apart. Right? Because the Evanchesia, the cornerstone from which emanates the entire world, is based on the premise that there's going to be unity between all twelve tribes, right? All twelve stones turned into one. From there emanated the base of Mikdash, from there emanated the entire world. If you dismantle that structure, you just destroyed everything. So the selling, that's why the, you know, the selling of Yosef is, is just so eternally impactful. Because it wasn't just a one-time thing, brothers scuffling with each other. It was literally a destruction of the very premise of the entire creation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it means that it's, it's so existentially catastrophic. If, if the whole world and the temple, which is a microcosm of the world, if all that, the, 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 the basis of that, the foundation of that, the roots of that are, is this zez, this 12, is this unity of 12, is this merging and fusion of that stone into one. The 
severing, the splintering of this unity, it's not just one family's troubles, it's the foundation of the world and the temple being eroded or being destroyed, that is the consequences essentially of this family coming apart. And thus the sale of Joseph really is the equivalent of the destabilization of the world and the, uh, the uprooting or, or the, 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 the splintering. Uh, the, the schism is the, is the splintering of the foundation of the temple and the world. That's right. Now, one of the objectives of this shear as we began was how do we understand the connection between the sin of the golden calf and the selling of Yosef? Uh, we saw that there's definitely a connection. Right? It was the very same tablet, the right? very same plaque that, that exhumed Yosef was what resulted in the golden calf. We found other sources as well. There's clearly a connection. What is that connection? I don't profess to fully understand it, but I want to throw out one idea. So we know that the the the, um, the selling of Yosef was, was really a, a division between the 12 tribes, ultimately eroding the foundation of the world. The sin of the golden calf... Very, very difficult one to understand what was going on, but partially, I think partially is that you find a, a, a disunity. There's a theme of disunity going on there. Because when they sinned, they, they pointed at the golden calf and they said the word, Ela, Ela, Elohecha Yisrael. This is your God. But, the, but the word Ela, Rabbi Wolbein, correct me if I'm wrong. I think grammatically is the exact same thing as the word Zeh, right? You're pointing at something, you're identifying something specific. But what is the difference between Zeh and Ela? The word Zeh is you pointing at one thing. The word Ela is you're pointing at multiple things. This versus these. This versus these, exactly. I think, does it say anywhere that there were actually 12 different golden calves? I've, I've heard that said, that each tribe had their own. Wow, I never knew that. <laughs> I would have to look that up, but I, I've seen that, and that's you why think it makes sense. We should sense do our research was, beforehand. <laughs> yeah, well, this, yeah, well, this is kind of a mad dash, but um, the, the uh, there were there was just twelve. They were all serving, even if there weren't twelve separate ones. They were all clearly on different pages, right? They're saying these. They're not saying well, that. Isn't that the essence really of idolatry? Like we believe that the, all the powers coalesce into one, just into just into the Almighty. All the power is all found in one root and one source. And all the power that is dispensed to others, it's all relative power and it's all it's all more finite power. The Almighty allows us to have power. The Almighty allows the sun to shine and the moon to shine at night and the water and the all the things that were worshipped as individual discrete powers, that's the idolatry. It's kind of the it's 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 the fracturing of the oneness of the of the unitary oneness of the singularity of God. That's right. And, and okay, another thing we find is that when Moshe descends from the mountain, it says, right, it, it's very interesting. It doesn't say he saw the, the golden calf and he threw down the, the luchos, the tablets. It's not what it says. It says that he saw the macholos, he saw the dancings, right? The various circles, right? The word macholos means circles. And I don't know if I've heard this or thought of this myself, but we find that the Gemara tells us that in the time of Mashiach Hashem, we'll make a machol la tzaddikim. We'll make one circle for all the tzaddikim, and he's going to sit within them. Right? This was the exact opposite of that, right? So the eagle is not Hashem, obviously. The eagle is, is the exact opposite of what God represents. It's idolatry. And what's surrounding it? Not a circle, but circles, right? Disunity. 
That's what's going on here. There's just a division. And it seems almost as if that's what ticked Moshe off. It wasn't like the center of the ego. It was like, oh my gosh, there's circles. I got to get rid of the luchos, right? And I think that's the explanation is because what was really going on at the root of this of the sin of the golden calf was the discord that resulted from the golden calf. Very interesting. Very interesting. There's there's the realm of Zeh and the realm of Ela. And there's the, the, the single, uh, the single loop, so to speak. That's the fate of the righteous and Omaba and the world to come in the future. And then there's the multiple kind of, um, independent circles that were present at the sin of the golden calf. And that symbolizes the disunity, discord and fracturing and splintering of the nation, kind of a reenactment of the sale of Joseph. Exactly. Now, I didn't research this enough, uh, th- this theory uh, about the the, um, the golden calf being the catalyst for this kind of fracturing, but I, I do have circumstantial evidence uh, to its truth, and that is that the, the primary atonement that was issued for the sin of the golden calf was the building of the tabernacle, the building of the Mishkan. Now, the Mishkan is really a forebear of the base of Mikdash. It's really one and the same idea. The verse is very explicit when they finalized the inauguration or really the construction of the Mishkan. The verse says, V'haya ha-Mishkan echad. And the Mishkan was one. I never really understood what that verse means. Of course it was one. There weren't multiple tabernacles. But I think the idea is the Mishkan unified the Jewish people. And that, and this we know was meant to be an atonement for the, the sin of the golden calf. So it would almost seem like exactly what, what we're saying, right? The, the bulk, the brunt of the calamity of the golden calf was the disunity. And therefore the rectification was the construction of a Mishkan, which will result in unity. Beautiful. Regarding, yeah, regarding the base of Mikdash, I just want to quote to a Maharal. I think we actually quoted this in our Teves share, which says, Yisrael mis'achtem al yidei Beis HaMikdash. The Jewish people become unified through the Beis HaMikdash. Uh, and then he says that that was the reason why um, sinas chinam, baseless hatred, resulted in the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash because the Beis HaMikdash and unity work in tandem. Like for the Beis HaMikdash to work, there has to be unity. And and when the Beis HaMikdash actually results in unity, when we deflect that unity, the Beis HaMikdash uh, gets destroyed. So again, like you said, we're starting to see how the the sale of Yosef and the sin of the eagle are really uh, one of the same. It's almost if like one is like a manifestation of the other. They sold Yosef. They created this discord. They created room for discord amongst the twelve tribes, and that's and that came to a head by the sin of the eagle. Okay. So so far, let's back up. What do we have with the word Zeh? So the word Zeh means all twelve tribes. The word Zeh means the base of Mikdash, but the word Zeh also somehow alludes to this half a shekel, right? Hashem extracted this half a shekel from beneath the throne of glory, points to it and says, this is the half a shekel. So the missing piece here is, how are we going to connect the idea of the 12 tribes, the base of Mikdash, to this half a shekel, right? That's where we got to go. And Rabbi Wobley, you're going to help me get there. So let's focus on this idea that the shekel comes from beneath the throne of glory. 
the Imagers tells us, and this I, I didn't see it in the Imagers itself, I saw it in the Sefer Tzlach on Chagiga, that at the moment of the world's creation, God took shelig, he took snow from beneath the throne of glory, and he threw it to the ground. Okay? He threw it to the ground. And from there, it created this Evan Shesia, this cornerstone of the world. So let me just read to you the exact words. Okay, so here he says that God took uh, earth. I've seen elsewhere that it says snow. From beneath the throne of glory. And he threw it uh, down onto the water. Uh, and then he says, Evan Shesia so he says that that earth is that clump of earth that he extracted from beneath the uh, throne of glory was the Avanchesia, was the cornerstone of of the world. Okay, so this is just a, a, another link. We know that this machtes shekel, the half shekel, was extracted from beneath the kisei kavod. Okay, we know that the Avanchesia. Which is this 12 theme, right? Because the 12 tribes that were formulated the Abin Um, we, is very much related to, to this Abin right? The cornerstone. And now we know that it comes from beneath the throne of glory. And so we two, also know th- that two this things ha- come from beneath the throne of glory. A, the, the fiery coin that God showed Moshe, Zayutnu, give this coin. Moshe had a hard time knowing exactly what coin to give. And the, Origin stone, the foundation stone, the Evanchesia stone, the Zest stone, the 12 stones that merge into one stone, that also came or it originated from underneath the throne of glory. Again, what that means, I don't know exactly what it means. It's, it's, um, obviously a Kabbalistic concept, but they both come from the same source, which means that they're, they're intimately connected. Okay. So here's all I have to say. And I, I don't know all of the Kabbalistic underpinnings to, to this, but. I know two things. First of all, it says that God extracted a half shekel of fire. Okay, very specific. It's of made of fire. Now we know that there's something else that's made of fire, which is the base of mikdash, right? The final base of mikdash will be made of fire. It will descend in fire. Okay, now this machtes shekel is fire. Okay, and we know that it's somehow related to this cornerstone from which emanated the whole base of mikdash. We know also that unity is crucial for the, the creation and for the existence of the Beis HaMikdash. The idea of this Machtus HaShekel is the different parts of Jewish people coming together, right? The, the, and this is a very, this is very often spoken about how the reason why everyone doesn't give one shekel, they give half a shekel is because we're trying to create unity. It's exactly this. Take, I'll give half, you'll give half. Together we create a whole. That is the lesson that's supposed to be taken, that is the positive spiritual effect that the giving of the Machzah Shekel is supposed to promulgate. That is the entire theme of Machzah Shekel is to create unity. Okay, so lumping all of this together is you got this thing, it's this half a shekel made of fire coming from the same place as the cornerstone of the Beis HaMikdash. Both of them are all about unity. That the cornerstone is all about the unity of Jewish people. This half shekel is all about the unity of Jewish people. They're both coming from beneath the throne of glory. You see where we're going here? I think so. I, I will note that the throne of glory. The uh, aren't we told in the sources that on one side of it had, a, had an image of of Jacob? Is that right? 
And Jacob, of course, is the father of these 12 tribes. And he's the one that, ha- that has this, uh, you know, 12 tribes come from him. And that's the, you know, I, I, he's the embodiment of this completion of these 12 tribes. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's where I'm going with all this. What I want to suggest is, all right, now this is a big move. And I'm, I'm making this up. I'm, you know, I've got a lot on the line here. <laughs> I want to suggest that this idea of the half shekel being made of fire coming from beneath the throne of glory is that when you put these halves together, we're building the base of Mekdash. The conceptual, spiritual base of Mekdash. But not just any base of Mekdash. Specifically the base of Mekdash of fire, which is the third base of Mekdash. That's what we're taught. The, the first base of Mekdash, Shlomo Amalek built it, ground up. Second one was also built. The third is going to come down in fire. This half shekel is made of fire because this half shekel is the one that will ultimately build the base of Mekdash. Interesting. Isn't that based upon the, the idea that the way we build the third temple, the third base of Mekdash, is via unity, right? Via removal of the disunity. Now, if this exactly. half shekel theme exactly. that n- no one's complete on their own and we're all dependent on each other and, 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 you know, on your, on your own, you're just a half and we all need to come together to be able to create this wonderful, uh, this wonderful enterprise together. If that's, uh, the theme of these, of this half shekel coin, it makes sense that it should be the building or the, the steps, the, the, the process through which we build their temple. That's right. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu looked at this half shekel. Of which God said Zeh, right? Oh, right? God said Zeh, pointing to the half shekel, right? Why is he saying Zeh? Zeh is the term we use for the base of Mikdash. Yet he's pointing at this half shekel and he's saying the exact same term we use in reference to the base of Mikdash is the word Zeh. Now Moshe Rabbeinu looks at it and he doesn't understand it. Why does he not understand it? I think the answer is because Moshe Rabbeinu was not allowed to build that third base of Mikdash, right? We know that Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately what was supposed to happen was he was supposed to enter Eretz Yisrael and build the third base of Mikdash. Okay? And he was punished and he wasn't allowed to do that. Okay, so there's this divide, there's this blockage between Moshe Rabbeinu and the third base of Mikdash. That's why I think Moshe Rabbeinu could not understand it. I would add, perhaps, that remember we said that the base of Mikdash emanated from the Evan Shasia. Now, this is a little wild, and I don't want to get into it, but it's possible that the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu was not allowed to build the base of Mikdash was because, why? What was the sin? What was the sin um, for which Moshe Rabbeinu was punished for? Well, he struck the rock as opposed to speaking to it. Exactly. He struck the rock. Now, I did see, and I don't know if this has credible sources, that this rock, uh, this this rock of Miriam was actually the Evan Shasia. This wow, rock so that that same struck, foundation stone, the one that melded into, that melded into uh, from twelve individual stones to one. That stone was the stone from which the water was emitted, and uh, Moshe struck that same stone. <laughs> okay, and that's why he was barred. That's why he was disallowed from entering the land. And that stone, well, that's the same stone. The the the, the foundation stone is the same stone as the stone that was giving the Jewish people water in the wilderness. Wow. Right. Okay. I mean, I don't want to get too into that because I, I did this very, that was very uh, briefly. I thought of it actually like as I was running to, to give this here. So I, I don't really know. But but that's beside the point. The point is what I'm trying to submit here is that Moshe Rabbeinu, he, there was some lack of, of comprehension of this shekel because it relates to the third temple, which Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to build and, and 
ultimately didn't build. Okay. Moshe Rabbeinu is afraid that when he dies, he will not be remembered, right? That's how he started all this off. We quoted a Medrash, which is completely confounding, which has, Moshe Rabbeinu says, God, I'm afraid when I die, I will not be remembered. God says, okay, don't worry. Every single year when they read the Parsha of Shkalem, you'll be there and you'll lift their heads and you'll be remembered through that. What in the world? So here's what I want to suggest. Why does Moshe Rabbeinu feel like when he dies, he'll be forgotten? I think the answer is specifically because of this, meaning Moshe Rabbeinu, Ultimately, was supposed to enter Israel, build the base of Mikdash. That base of Mikdash was supposed to last for eternity, we're taught. The base of Mikdash that Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to build would have lasted forever. When Moshe Rabbeinu was told that he will not enter Israel, will not base, build the base of Mikdash, he said, okay, that means my legacy will ultimately fade away. Right? Just like any other human being, the only people we remember are the ones who have some sort of legacy that endures. And Moshe Rabbeinu felt like his legacy was meant to be the Pesach Mikdash, and that failed. So God says, don't worry, there's the Parsha Shkalim. And when they read it, every year when they read Parsha Shkalim, you'll be there. Why will you be there? Because this is your territory. This is alluding to the third Pesach Mikdash, which ultimately you will build. I didn't get into this so much, but ultimately Mashiach is going to be uh, the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu. And so Moshe Rabbeinu will ultimately build that third base of Mekdash. And because this half a shekel relates to that third base of Mekdash, Moshe Rabbeinu has got to be there. What does that mean? You will lift their heads. You will lift their heads. What? It's it just crazy. What does that mean? So I, I saw the B'nai Saskar says as follows. And he's talking about Parsha Shkalim, but he's, he's relating to an entirely, uh, he's taking an entirely different approach. But the idea is as follows. He says that there's in the Parsha of Shkalim, in the six verses that we will read, there are 346 words. 346. Now, he says the gematria, the, the numerical value of Moshe is 345. 345. So there's one more than Moshe. Okay. He says that the reason for this, and he says just Kabbalistically, and I'm not going to get into this right now, is that Moshe Rabbeinu is related to the Aleph, the first letter in the Jewish alphabet. The numerical value of Aleph, Rabbi Wolbe, is? That's one. So he basically says this idea that Moshe Rabbeinu is considered the Rosh of the Jewish people. He is the Aleph. He's the one. And uh, therefore, I don't really get it exactly. I would have to reveal more carefully that when you read the the Sukkim, the verses of Shkalim, there's, there's going to be 345, which is Gemachim Moshe, plus one. Okay, the point is, that Moshe Rabbeinu is considered the Rosh of the Jewish people. And he's there when they read the Shkalim. And that's really when he is is allowed to take one step closer to building the base of Mikdash. And so God says, you're going to be there, and you're going to lift their heads. Who's their heads? Their heads is himself. Who's the head of the Jewish people? Who's the Rosh? That's Moshe. And here's what I want to suggest. The word shekel is gematria 430. Okay? 430. So the word shekel is 430, but you give two, right? One, one, I give half, you give half. So we're both giving a shekel. We're both giving half a shekel. But let's just, for argument's sake, we're both giving. So what's 430 plus 430? That would be 860. Okay, 860. But we said Moshe Rabbeinu is Aleph. He's one. Okay, so you add one to 860. It's 861 which is exactly Gematria base Hamikdash. Wow. So the Shekel Shekel plus Moshe is base Hamikdash. So that Moshe 
was missing, so to speak, this. This is the way for him to ultimately gain his legacy of building the temple, half shekel, my half shekel, plus your half shekel, coming together to form that zet, to form that foundation stone, and to form that ultimate enduring temple, the third temple, the temple made out of fire. Right. And the moral of the story is that the minimum amount of money that you can donate to Torch is $861. <laughs> I think you're accepting 800000 uh, sixty eight hundred sixty one thousand. Would you take that if, if I, really I under, take if it. you were pressured I, I into take it? I take it. Yes, yeah, we'll take all that right. even in shekels. <laughs> 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 I was going to say, well, how does this all connect with each with, together? But really, how does this connect with our fundraiser? Which do you remember the website for that? I I cannot po- after a share like that. I can't remember <laughs> anything. Your brain is too frazzled. It's givetorch.org. dot org, and I think that that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring the Jewish people together. We know that. One of the ways that the Jewish people merit to rebuild the temple, the third temple, is with repentance and with reconnecting to our heritage and reconnecting to our Torah. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, try to spread Torah to the whole world, to every corner, to every Jew, to join their Zed, to join together. And I was thinking, you know, you're a Kohen. Kohen uh, Kohanim are endowed with special powers of blessing. Maybe you could give a blessing to everyone who makes a donation at givetorch.org. Uh, let's just give, let's start with a blessing to everyone listening to this podcast. Um, that, uh, wait, guess, wait, wait. You even want to bless the people who are not going to give a donation? No, I think after this blessing, it will just, there's just no way they won't give a donation. No, look, I, you know, Hashem should fulfill all of your, uh, all of your prayers. I think that's because you all know what you need. I don't know what you need, but I'm sure you're praying for it. And I'll just bless you that Hashem should accept them and give you what you need. Uh, including 861 extra dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but, can we, but can we give a special blessing to all those who are contributing at GiveTorch.org? Uh, yeah, so anyone who gives to give uh, GiveTorch.org uh, should be especially financially successful and should come up with really great insights to share with Rabbi Wilby and myself because we both really look forward to the various feedback. and no, I'd, Better than feedback is I like the, the insights and the questions. Well, thank you so much, Rabbi Botnick, for coming and blowing our mind. We went uh, to so many different corners of our philosophy and our history. We talked about Moshe, Moshe in the past, Moshe in the future, Moshe being the Aleph. We spoke about the sale of Joseph, the sin of the golden calf, the Zed that appears in so many different places, the foundation stone that came from this source on high, the, the, the sand or the snow that was taken from underneath the throne of glory and chucked down. We also learned that this Half coin, it's so mystifying to Moshe and God has to it made out of fire. But really we learned about what binds us together and the importance of national unity and the danger and the catastrophe and the calamity to use your word of when that gets uh, disjointed, when it uh, comes apart. And that was featured in these two sins. We're trying to rectify that. Each one of us contributing our half, each one of us coming together to build something wonderful that we can only do together, that the sum is greater than the, uh, the, 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 the total is greater than the sum of the parts. When we come together, we can do incredible things. It's a wonderful message to think about during this week, Parshas Shkalim. And again, the website is givetorch.org. Rabbi Botnik's email address is botniksm at gmail.com. All the questions about the Kabbalistic stuff, just send it straight to him. Just uh, You don't even have to CC me because my answer is, I don't know, it's too mysterious to me. Uh, my email address is rabbiwalbejim.com. And once again, for a final time, what's the website for the fundraiser, Rabbi Botnik? 
GiveTorch.org. GiveTorch.org. I'll see you there. Thanks for your support. And please, God, we'll talk again for the month of Adar.